Well, I pray that so far tonight we have soberly and thankfully remembered the death of our Savior. And I have just a few minutes here to help further drive this truth into our hearts. And in an effort to do that, I'm going to keep it extremely simple. Galatians 3.13 tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And in this passage, we see an easy-to-understand truth that I hope will bring a brokenness to our hearts over our own sin, but also a deep-seated thankfulness for the gospel. And here's the truth that I see in Galatians 3. Jesus died in our place for our sins. Simple, right? Something that we've all come to trust in and believe in and hope in, but there's so much weighty truth in those eight words. I, I think it bears remembering tonight as we've gathered here on Good Friday to remember the death of our Savior. Let's take a few moments just to unpack that phrase. First of all, Jesus. It's a name that we all know. It's a name that gives hope to us. It's the name that is above every name. It's the name given to us under heaven by which we must be saved. It's the name that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We all know this. Jesus is no ordinary man. He was no mere teacher or rabbi. He is supreme over all of creation. In fact, he is the one through whom all of creation was made, Hebrews 1 reminds us. He is eternal, having been with the Father and the Spirit preceding all of time. He is the glorious, divine, holy, righteous, beautiful, powerful, and loving King and Lord who the angels were worshiping before any of the galaxies or worlds were spoken into existence. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is divine, yet he is human. He grew calluses on his hands as he learned to swing a hammer and learn the trade of carpentry. He was the man from Galilee, a little fishing community where everyone knew everyone. He is the God incarnate, both fully God and fully man, both omniscient, knowing everything, and yet going to the temple as a young boy, studying the scriptures, and growing in favor with God and man. Both omnipotent, infinitely powerful, and yet being led into the desert by, a, by the Spirit, and being tempted, and hungering, and thirsting, and yet resisting those temptations for the glory of His Father. The Son of God becoming flesh, having a heart, lungs, skin, hair, and a body, fully God and fully man. Jesus is without sin. He is perfectly holy and righteous. There is not an ounce of sin in our Savior. He left heaven in all of its perfection and he entered our mess. He left the celestial shores and he entered the slums of the earth. The divine became human and while becoming human, he remained fully divine. He walked this earth perfectly obeying every command and law of his Father in thought and motivation, in deed, in action, in word, and in nature. There was no sin in our Savior, none whatsoever. And that's the scandalous part of the cross, isn't it? It was reserved for the worst criminals. It was was reserved for murderers and rapists and insurrectionists and thieves and insubordinates and the likes. And Jesus had done none and was none of those things. The perfect Son of God had come down and was about to be nailed to a cross for a crime that he did not commit. This was no ordinary man. Sure, he was from Galilee, but he was first from heaven. Sure, he made things with his hand as a carpenter, but he first fashioned the heavens and the earth when he created it all. This was our king. This was our Lord. This was our God. This was Jesus, and Jesus died. He was murdered. 
He endured the shame and died one of the most gruesome, horrific, and bloody deaths that you could die by a Roman crucifixion. The perfect and blameless Son of God was executed like a common criminal. It was not grow old and die in your sleep. It was such a horrible and impending intense death that Jesus sweated drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying to his Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But in that same prayer, not my will, but yours be done. We need to understand what a Roman crucifixion was like in order to understand what the, what the word died means in that phrase. And the Roman crucifixion actually did not start with the cross. It started with a scourging or a flogging. And so they took Christ and they, and they tied him to a post and they ripped his clothes off of his back and they whipped him, scourged him, flogged him with what is commonly referred to as a cat of nine tails. And this was a whip with nine strips of leather and embedded in that leather was jagged rock and bone and metal, sharp, razor sharp. And so they took Christ and they tied him to that post and they took the clothes off of his back And a Roman soldier laid in to our Savior and flogged him. And so the whip came down on the bare back of Jesus, splitting his skin open, and blood began to ooze out. And worse than that, that rock and that metal and that bone got stuck into the back of Jesus so that when the Roman centurion pulled it back, it pulled back with its flesh and muscle. And so the back of our Savior was a bloody mess. So that when we read in the Gospels that Jesus was scourged, that's what it means. When we read in Isaiah that by his stripes we are healed, it was no small feat. It was awful. It was horrific. It was bloody. It was been said of this about Roman scourgings. At one time, they were torn by scourges down to deep-seated veins and arteries so that the hidden contents of the recesses of their bodies... Their entrails and organs were exposed to sight. And then they mocked him, unrelentlessly mocked him. They placed a crown of thorns on his head, digging it into his skull until blood began to drip down his face. They gave him a staff and placed a robe around him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And this was no honoring, worshipful homage paid to Christ as the Son of God. This was cruel, relentless mockery, insulting the one who made them. And they hit him over the head with a reed, making those thorns go deeper into his skull. Until he was so weak after the scourging and the ridicule, he could not carry his own cross. And Simon of Cyrene came in, took that 100-pound crossbeam and carried it for Jesus as they marched towards Golgotha. And Jesus was physically spent. He was exhausted in excruciating pain. And they put him on a cross and nailed spikes through his wrist. And spikes through his feet. And they hoisted the cross up and dropped it into a hole. Until Christ hung there. And every time he wanted to get a breath, he would push up on the nails in his feet. And he would pull up on the nails in his hands just to catch a breath. And then he would go back down. It's been said in the International Standard of Bible Encyclopedia, it describes crucifixion this way. The wounds swelled about the rough nails and the torn, lacerated tendons and nerves caused excruciating agony. The arteries of the head and stomach were surcharged with blood and terrific throbbing headache ensued. The victim of crucifixion, crucifixion literally died a thousand deaths. 
And this was no ordinary man dying an ordinary death. This was the sovereign king of the universe dying one of the most brutal deaths in the history of mankind. And what I think is more difficult even than the physical part of it, as horrific as that was, was the spiritual one. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was sinless, and for the first time in his existence, he was feeling the effects of the entire world's sin in his body on the tree. As First Peter reminds us, for the first time, he was experientially feeling what it was like to be treated like a sinner. And at that moment of the cross, the Father treated Jesus as if he had murdered, raped, been prideful, lied, stole, committed adultery, lusted, was greedy, and all the other ways we can affront an infinitely holy God. Jesus, the perfect one, was being treated as if he had sinned, and the Father poured his infinite, just, and blazing wrath into the Son. And Jesus took it all. And for the first time, The Father and the Son were separated. And Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was spiritually awful. And Jesus died. But why did he die? We all know this. He died in our place for our sins. And this is the part of the phrase that should bring soberness and brokenness to our hearts that Christ did all this for us. Because it should have been us. We are the ones who have sinned. We are the ones who have transgressed. We are the ones who whore after idols that think will fulfill but end up destroying. We are the greedy, selfish, prideful, lustful, and glory-seeking fools, not Christ. It should have been us. Romans reminds us that the wages of sin is death. And we are the ones who have earned those wages. I am the one who has earned those wages. We have fallen. We have failed. We have intentionally and unintentionally sinned against a righteous, just, and holy God. It should have been us on that cross. But why did he have to die? It was because of our sin. Our sin nailed Christ to the tree. Again, he was perfect and holy. He did nothing wrong. As much of the joke of a trial that he went through tried to prove. There was no reason to crucify Jesus. Except for someone had to pay the penalty for our debt. Our sin had wrecked up such a large debt that it needed someone with infinite resources to pay it. There was only one who had those resources within himself. And that was Christ. So Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross despising the shame, lovingly died in our place for our sins. He is the perfect Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Because God is infinitely holy, our sin is repugnant in His sight. We cannot have a relationship with God because He is holy and we are utterly depraved and sinful. We needed someone to bridge that gap, to reconcile us, to restore us. Our sin requires God to punish and judge our sin and judge us. But instead, what he does is he judges our sin and punishes our sin in Christ on the cross. We need a rescue. We need a savior. Christ's death paid the debt by being that sacrifice once and for all. And the crazy thing to me is... That in those last moments, as he was bearing all the guilt and shame of the world, as he was bearing the most awful agony his body had ever experienced, he said, Father, forgive them, 
for they know not what they do. He hung there because of love. He hung there to bring glory to his Father. We are forgiven because Christ was forsaken. It has come at a great and brutal cost. I pray that we remember that tonight and every day. But this is how deep his love for us is. And this is how deep and and, and desirous Christ wants to glorify his Father is. Friends, Jesus died in our place, in your place, in my place because of our sin. May we always remember that. Let's stand together, continue to remember him, and sing and worship the one who died for us.